Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian joined with Kevin Olson. How are you guys doing? And today we've got another episode of Basin Breakdown. This will be for the month of November. We know it's coming just a little bit later than you might have anticipated, but hey, it's the holiday season. I'm sure, as you know, some stuff gets put on the back burner, even professionally, or things just get busy. So we thank you for tuning into this, and we're going to deliver all the biggest news through eight major basins, and I guess I'll stop holding things up and we'll get right into it. First, in Colorado and the DJ and Niobrara basins, Occidental Petroleum stops hedging oil in 2022, and by this, they want to discontinue hedging its oil output next year because prices are still high and have a lot of room to rise. Pioneer Natural Resources announced that it will drastically cut hedging as a result of increased oil prices. Scott Sheffield, the company's CEO, predicted that the oil prices will be between $80 and $100 per barrel in 2022. According to IHS Market, losses in the first half of 2021 were $7.5 billion, but if oil prices maintained around $75 per barrel in the second half of the year, losses may rise to $12 billion as demand improves, and I mean, that's something we talked about way back when. Everyone who hedged because 2020 happened, they were scared. That was their next best bet, but they really kept themselves from earning a whole lot more. Yeah, and I think this is kind of an interesting strategy because, like you said, Tavis, you know, it, as these prices start climbing and climbing, and, and that's definitely the the trajectory things seem to be going right now. But you know, what if there is this, you know, a, a crazy price crash again? You know, Oxy might be, you know, sitting in the position where it's ah, you know, kicking themselves. But, you know, say they had hedged around, you know, $60 per barrel in, in prices tank. So it will be interesting to see how this strategy pays off for them. Granted, you know, prices swing in either direction. And, and this is really just kind of covering yourself if prices do fall. But, you know, the way that projections and outlooks are looking, I don't think prices are really going to be falling. So I think this might be a good move for Occidental. But kind of moving into our second story, an oil company with a history of leaks and spills could actually pay less than half of a $2 million fine. If KP Kaufman, an oil and gas business here in Colorado, complies with environmental and safety standards, it could pay less than half of a nearly record $2 million punishment. The state agreed to reduce the company's $2 million penalty, which is the second largest penalty ever levied by the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, to $795,000. In August, KPK went to trial on charges that overlooked flow line leaks and spills in northern Colorado, as well as having a weak cleanup operations effort. And this is one we've talked about for the past three months, really. It's bounced back and forth, and it seems like they spent a decent amount of time fighting it, so I suppose this is good news. Still sounds like a huge fine, but then again, I'm not totally up to speed on their infractions, because when I last looked, they seemed to be pretty minimal. Absolutely. And and it is interesting that it's going from two million to seven hundred and ninety-five hundred thousand granted. Um, so two million till just a little bit less than one million. But um either way, if they took this to court and you know they proposed evidence saying, you know, hey, this is what we are actually taking the right steps in the right way, it, it must be the COGCC recognizing, okay, these guys really have been putting in the effort, putting in the the money to to keep these standards. So we'll keep you guys updated because I'm sure that this is not going to be the last month we talk about this story. So next month, I'm sure you'll be hearing more about this. And next article, you'll be hearing about Brigham Minerals. Brigham Minerals Incorporated stated that it has reached an agreement to buy certain mineral and royalty interest in the DJ Basin for $44 million in cash and 2.2 million shares of Class A common stock, subject to certain closing adjustments. 
These interests include PDC Energy, Chevron, Occidental, Civitas, which operates 8,400 net royalty acres mostly in Weld County. In addition, 2022 production is expected to be between 1,100 and 1,200 barrels of oil equivalent per day with 50% liquids, so hey, just money trading hands, properties trading ownership, that's just business. Well, the interesting thing is this is kind of a new company that we haven't really heard about here in the DJ. So, you know, this is a, a big move coming into the end of the year here. So we'll definitely keep you guys updated and see if any of these other larger corporations are, are going to maybe gobble these guys up. But it sounds like by the looks of this deal that they're actually picking away at pieces of other these major operators in the area. So, um, again, one of these stories that we'll definitely keep you updated on. And then moving to our neighbors in the north, the Powder River Basin, where Jonah Energy has received the highest emissions designation from the UN Methane Partnership. The United Nations has commended Jonah Energy for its continued efforts to combat difficult pollution. For its extensive methane measuring tactics, the oil and gas producer, which works in Sublette County's wealthy Jonah Field, won the highest certification from the United Nations Oil and Gas Methane Partnership this past month. We've been reading the tea leaves on market and policy direction for a number of years now and firmly believe that we have a responsibility to provide a cleaner energy source, said Paul Urich, Vice President of Government and Regulatory Affairs for Jonah Energy. I'm absolutely stoked about this that the UN, you know, Sure, people may be working in the fields of conventional energy, but they're recognizing anyone who works in that sector that is putting their best foot forward in trying to deal with climate change. Absolutely. And I think that this is a really important milestone. It's not just, you know, say the, the state of Wyoming, the state of Colorado, you know, the, the federal government here. It's the United Nations has commended this really small company for their efforts to combat these methane emissions. So I think this is really an important topic that we need to talk about because it's the little guys that are still going to make the difference. Yes, all these major oil and mm -hmm. gas producers need to do their part, but it's really a fight that everyone needs to be involved in if we want to keep oil and gas around for the future. Next, we'll talk about Mark Gordon, the governor of Wyoming, and if you've listened to this podcast for any time or even just follow general politics, you'll know he's not super stoked with the way that the feds are handling the review of the leasing program in the United States. He recently slammed a new report from the Department of the Interior under President Biden's administration on federal oil and gas leasing on public lands and waters as, quote, a frontal assault on Western lands that leaves nothing to be thankful for, end quote. He said that because the Department of the Interior study was released the day after Thanksgiving in response to a Biden executive order directing the Secretary of the Interior to conduct a review and recommend steps that may be taken, quote, to increase renewable energy production, end quote, on federal lands and waters. The directive sets, quote, a goal of doubling offshore wind by 2030 while assuring a comprehensive protection for our lands, waterways, biodiversity, and providing excellent jobs, end quote, according to the document. And really, I, I don't have a problem with offshore energy, especially offshore wind. I think that's a great way to increase our renewable capacity and maybe supplement some of our use of hydrocarbons. But most people are upset with the numbers, the percentages, the taxing the costs surrounding this new leasing. So I think that's something that will still need to be refined and worked through for everyone to truly be on board here. Well, the interesting thing, and in, in Tavis, you mentioned that in that quote, was that at the very end, you know, in providing excellent jobs. And here's the thing, if you're trying to get rid of fossil fuel production in, in states like Wyoming, those are providing excellent jobs in, in locations like that. So I completely agree with you, Tavis. I think that you know, increasing our capacity for offshore wind is phenomenal. I have nothing against that. But just it seems like 
Mark Gordon is really just kind of hitting the nail on the head saying, you know, look, there are other ways of going about this instead of this, you know, kind of narrow minded approach of this is the only way things are going to get done. How about we expand our energy portfolio and then we expand these excellent jobs to, you know, get people back into work, get the economy back up and running and really to satisfy our energy needs from now and then into the future. Hey, Kevin, I think you hit the nail on the head. But unfortunately, it was kind of a slow month for Wyoming and the Powder River, so we're going to move it on to where it's never slow, the Permian Basin. First, Diamondback Energy, a U.S. shale producer, beat Wall Street third-quarter profit estimates and increased its dividend on November 1st as the oil market recovers from pandemic lows, pushing prices to levels not seen in years, and I tell you, I am kicking myself in the foot for not having an in on that. The Midland, Texas-based company reported adjusted earnings of $536 million, or $2.94 per share for the quarter, compared to the $2.77 per share expected, so way to go for them. Diamondback has pledged to return half of its free cash flow to stockholders beginning in the fourth quarter of this year, and its board of directors has recently authorized a $2 billion share repurchase program. So what I think is interesting is that they're pledging to return half of this free cash flow to their stockholders. Instead of, you know, maybe reinvesting it into projects. So I do think that's interesting. But at the same time, you got to keep the people that are providing you the money happy. Otherwise, they might not come back and, you know, provide you money, you know, when when things are, are looking south or, or not looking so great. So maybe that's the reason they're, you know, trying to keep trying to keep the peace, if you will. Um, but it's it's interesting to see that half of this is being returned as opposed to reinvesting into new programs to maybe see the company progress even further. And that's a very important point. It is such a fine line to walk because, like we've mentioned, two of the biggest reasons we think there is a ton of upward pressure on prices stem from the lack of investment, from investors being scared and turning to renewable energy or other alternative energy companies to take their hard-earned cash to invest, and also the lack of investment into production. So I guess they keep half and put that into, well, obviously not all of it back into production, but yeah, like you said, you've got to keep the people pleased, but... If inventories run out, that's going to be a tough way to complete and meet your contracts, too. No kidding. Uh, but up next, Continental Resources is actually entering the country's top shale region here in the Permian after a half century as a premier U.S. oil and gas producer. On November 3rd, the Oklahoma City-based business reached an agreement with Pioneer Natural Resources to buy all of Pioneer's assets in the Delaware Basin region of the Permian for $3.25 billion in cash. In a press release, CEO Bill Berry said, quote, Continental's foundation has always been built on a strong geology-led corporate strategy. This continues today and has directly led us to our new strategic position in the Permian Basin, end quote. And I think that, you know, that quote is really sums up this entire story. You know, they've always had a very geology-focused area, and this Permian Basin, it's really the powerhouse of all these basins that we talk about on a month-to-month -month basis. So it is great that Continental's getting in, but I'm curious on, you know, Pioneer's direction coming out of this one. And for our next story, we've got two large agreements with Diamondback Energy Incorporated and its midstream company, Brazos Midstream. They recently expanded their footprint into the Permian Basin. Brazos is one of the largest private natural gas and crude oil midstream enterprises in the Delaware Basin of the Permian Basin, with headquarters in Fort Worth. However, 
the business announced that it has extended to the Midland Basin with the purchase of Diamondback's Mustang Springs gas gathering system, making Brazos' first purchase on the Midland Basin side of the Permian. The sale of the Mustang Springs gas gathering assets resulted in a net consideration of $54 million for Diamondback, and honestly, this is... This is great news for them. I mean, what we just looked at with their returns, they're giving money back to the investors, they're purchasing midstream systems, they're expanding outside of the Delaware to all sides of the Permian. This might be the next big player in the next, say, decade for the Permian. Absolutely. But, you know, Davis, we've chatted quite a bit about the Permian, so I think we should pop it on over to the Eagleford <laughs> where Chesapeake has completed a $2.2 billion acquisition of a Haynesville producer, Vine Energy. Chesapeake Energy finalized its acquisition of Vine Energy on November 1st, becoming the top producer in the Haynesville shale. Chesapeake had earlier announced the purchase of Vine in August for $2.2 billion in a, quote, zero premium transaction. Chesapeake's Haynesville exposure was expected to expand to 348,000 net acres with pro forma second quarter net production of 1.58 billion cubic feet per day. And that wasn't the only acquisition in the Eagleford Haynesville neighborhood. We've also got Southwestern Energy Company, based in Spring, Texas. They acquired another private Haynesville producer as it continues to increase its position in the shale gas play, increasing its exposure to the LNG corridor and growing demand centers along the U.S. Gulf Coast. Southwestern has agreed to buy GEP Haynesville LLC for $1.85 billion in cold hard cash, along with some equity. GEP is a joint venture between GeoSouthern Energy and E&P, founded by billionaire oilman George Bishop and Blackstone Incorporated's financing arm. It is the third largest private Haynesville operator. And, you know, you'll never believe it, but we've got another one. Crescent Pass Energy LLC has completed an acquisition of operated and non-operated properties in East Texas, marking the privately held ENP company's second major acquisition in the region in the last two months. Crescent Pass CEO Tyler Fenley said in a press release that, quote, this acquisition is an exciting milestone for us as it marks our second significant growth transaction in fewer than two months. The buyer in terms of the purchase were not disclosed, but Crescent Pass has spent more than $100 million on acquisitions so far in 2021, with substantial remaining equity capital reserved for future opportunities, according to a press release. And you know, for an area that has typically been so slow and not a whole lot going on, in the past few months, Tavis, we have really seen this area kind of blow up with interest in you know several companies. We just talked about three here. Um, and it seems like this steam isn't really slowing down. Oh, yes. This area is attracting a lot more attention. And I know the Haynesville isn't exactly the Eagleford, but even outside of that, yes, the Eagleford has seen a ton of activity. And that's something that I know you and I both wanted to see very badly through 2020 as we cheered for our favorite underdog. But next, we've got to take it over to Oklahoma and the Scoopstack Basins. Following its purchase of Jubilee Exploration, an oil and gas producer with 516 wells over 10 counties in northeastern Oklahoma and southeastern Kansas, X Fuels Incorporated, has announced plans to scale up production of at least 142 wells in Craig and Nawata counties in Oklahoma. X Fuels said in a press statement that it has agreed to buy 100% of Jubilee's common stock, marking the company's largest acquisition to date. It's also stated that it intends to focus on expanding oil and gas production from a core group of 142 wells in Craig and Nawata counties as soon as possible. So the way this reads, and from my understanding, it seems like they've got 142 wells 
that they're trying to, what they said, scale up production. So I'm excited to see if they're going to run some different experiments, innovate a little bit, and see what new tricks they can use to get more out of the same rock. Yeah, this has definitely been one of those companies that's uh, definitely a think outside the box. And I agree with you, Tavis. It really seems like they're going to use these 142Ls for maybe some new experimental production optimization techniques that, who knows, maybe here in just a few months or maybe a year we'll be talking about. And, oh, you remember that time we talked about this company. And so we'll definitely keep you updated on this story. But up next, Oklahoma oil and gas producers concerned about the potential EPA restrictions. The Biden administration has announced intentions to strengthen oil and gas well regulations. The EPA has suggested restrictions to minimize methane emissions. Oklahoma is home to some of the country's greatest natural gas and oil fields, but Oklahoma was fourth largest crude oil and natural gas producer in the United States in 2020. Brooke Simmons, president of the Petroleum Alliance in Oklahoma, is concerned about potential limits on businesses in the state. Furthermore, Simmons is concerned about the potential economic impact of these regulations in Oklahoma. And like you mentioned in that article, Oklahoma is home to some of the greatest natural gas and oil fields. That's not unknown. We're talking about it here in the Basin Breakdown. Clearly, clearly it's a very major play. And energy executives ended up ranking Oklahoma as a very desirable place to invest. Oklahoma was recently ranked second among U.S. states and Canadian provinces in terms of their attractiveness as locations for oil and gas projects. The Fraser Institute asked energy executives to assess how state or provincial legislation would influence their decision to invest in or not invest in projects. According to the Institute's findings, Oklahoma came in second only to Texas. In a news release, the Institute stated, quote, Texas and Oklahoma are once again at the top of the rankings for the most attractive jurisdictions in North America for oil and gas investment, end quote. And I love to see this because on a state-by-state basis, oh man, Texas greatly overshadows anyone else who steps up to the plate. So Oklahoma needs some love. I'm excited to see new investment and see where things go. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of builds off of the previous story. And this is really why the Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma is concerned about these new EPA restrictions is because, yes, this is a very favorable place for oil and gas investment, for fossil fuel investment, for energy investment in general. And if these restrictions just kind of keep clamping down and clamping down, clamping down, you know, maybe that investor sentiment might change. So um, hopefully... Nothing too great changes, and and hopefully Oklahoma remains a very attractive place for investment and continues to be a top producer in the United States. But enough of talking about Oklahoma. Let's move it over to one of our favorite locations to talk about. That, of course, is California, where they're looking to natural gas to keep the lights on this winter. What a shocking turn of events. California announced on November 4th that it would increase the amount of natural gas stored at a facility in the Los Angeles area that suffered a deadly leak about six years ago, marking the state's latest easing of environmental standards to shore up energy supply. The California Public Utilities Commission approved a plan to increase the capacity of SoCal Gas's Aliso Canyon underground storage facility to 41 billion cubic feet of gas in a four to zero decision, according to a statement. This is around 20% more than previously allowed, but less than the 68.6 billion cubic feet examined by the California Public Utilities Commission in a competing proposal. And there's two sides to this coin, right? So it's cool to see that they're expanding underground storage, but then that other side, production. That's a different conversation to be had. We're seeing lots of pushback against domestic production. So what does that mean? California 
imports, whether that's from the U.S. or outside, more natural gas, it just, again, boggles my mind. And, and, and I think that the headline of this is, is just almost funny. You know, California, the state that's been <laughs> trying to push out fossil fuels for years and years and years, they're looking to natural gas to keep the lights on in the winter because they just purely don't have enough energy supply to meet their energy demand. So, again, it's, it's one of those things that they're trying to force out fossil fuels entirely too quickly, and they're starting to suffer the consequences. Next, the government examination of a proposed oil pipeline in California is likely to reach a critical stage next year, surprisingly enough. ExxonMobil would be able to restart production at three offshore platforms if the plan is granted. Plains, a Houston-based company, is investing $300 million in the project. The All-American Pipeline would replace a line that was shut down in 2015 due to a breach near Santa Barbara. The outcome was the worst coastal leak in California in 25 years. The discussion is taking place amid concerns about climate change, as well as a reckoning in California over the prolonged reliance on fossil fuels. In an effort to cut fossil fuel consumption, the state wants to outlaw all small gas-powered engines by 2024 and abolish all gas-powered vehicles by 2035. And I tell you, this legislation is all over the board. Pro, con, for, against. It's mind-boggling. Absolutely. And, and it will be interesting to you know, see how these decisions play out, you know, especially with the recent pipeline leaks um, in this California area. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, the state of California really does want to invest all this capital in a new pipeline that, you know, has the potential for leaks. I mean, that that's the name of the game. You know, anytime you have any kind of action, whether it be good or bad, there is potential for, you know, harm to happen. So it will be interesting to see how these discussions pan out in the future. But up next, let's talk about California turning down the most fracking permits ahead of a 2024 ban. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, CalGym has rejected an unprecedented 109 fracking permits in 2021. This is the highest number of denials issued by the division in a single year since California began allowing fracking in 2015. 50 permits, mostly from Bakersfield-based Era Energy, were denied solely on the basis of climate change concerns. In a September letter to ERA, state oil and gas supervisor Uduak Joe Untuk stated that he could, quote, not in good conscience grant the permits given the increasingly urgent climate effects of fossil fuel production and the continuing impacts of climate change and hydraulic fracturing on public health and natural resources, end quote. And rounding out our second to last basin, the Marcellus. Cotera Energy's major risk area, according to the new TIP Ranks Risk Factors tool, is finance and corporate, which accounts for 49% of the total 39 risks detected for the stock. Cotera just included nine additional risk indicators in its profile. 408 million shares were issued to Simrex stockholders as part of the merger. Cotera warns that now that the merger has been finalized, legacy Simrex stockholders may opt to sell their shares because they are no longer subject to selling restrictions. Similarly, legacy Cabot owners may decide to sell their shares as a result of the merger's change in investment profile. As a result, Cotera has issued a warning to investors about the possibility of stock price volatility following the transaction. And I know this is a lot of words, but really this just comes down to, I, I hate to say generally, business. You shift any organization into another, redefine who will be the leadership and through what roles, and there's definitely going to be some friction. Absolutely. But 
the thing about this story that I really appreciate is just the transparency that they're trying to have. You know, they want to alert people that look, you know, there are risks within any transaction. That's the name of the game. You know, there's like Tavis said, there's gonna be friction, there's gonna be, you know, a little bit of butting heads, changing of ideals, but I just really appreciate the fact that they're trying to alert people in advance, like, look, hey, you know, there there might be some volatility coming up here that, you know, we do expect, but hopefully moving forward, it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. But up next, after a board approved the review, the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection will formally consider petitions seeking to require oil and gas well owners to lay aside the full cost of capping their wells. The petitions were filed by environmental groups in an attempt to persuade the state to considerably boost bond rates for shale and classic wells drilled since 1985. They argue that the increases are required to safeguard the state and its taxpayers from having to foot the bill for growing cleanup costs and environmental harm if firms fail to plug and abandon wells when they reach the end of their useful lives. This one I'm torn on because on one hand, yeah, I don't want tax money, money that I pay into, to go to, you know, clean up someone else's mess. But also, 100% of the bond could be a, a whole lot of money. There's no telling what might be wrong with that. And at the end of the day, it's just an estimate. But I, I do think what is required right now is insufficient. So this is going to be, to me, one of the most interesting legislative aspects to look at through the next decade. Absolutely. I think that Tavis nailed that. And I think that this is going to start becoming an issue that pops up in every single basin within the next couple of years, because states are starting to realize that they flat out don't have the funds to start footing the bill for all these P&A projects that start coming through the pipeline as companies, you know, abandon assets or or go bankrupt and, and, and walk away. So um, Tavis, I do agree. I think this is going to be a huge issue as things go forward, but I also agree that I don't necessarily know if an operator needs to be able to have to have a 100% bond coverage rate, but uh, I do agree where it's at now is insignificant, so let's keep tracking this story, and, and maybe we can discuss further on, on what we think would be ideal into the future. And last is the Bakken. First, according to research by the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, a shortage of high-quality drilling locations poses a long-term risk to oil production in the Bakken Formation. Producers have concentrated on core areas where horizontal wells allow better access to oil since the Bakken boom began 13 years ago. However, according to the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, there are only about 700 top-tier wells left. Bakken producers, on the other hand, drilled 600 high-caliber wells in 2019. The fall in high-caliber wells has significant fiscal, financial, and policy consequences. Investors will need to keep their expectations in check. Oil and gas earnings will be lost to state and local budgets. Existing pipelines, like the contentious Dakota Access Pipeline, will need regulators to review their economic basis. And sure, I do agree, as time goes on, what is known to be high value, easily accessible, is going to be taken out first. But I, I don't think we should neglect the importance of innovation and discovery. Absolutely, Tavison. And I do think that number, there's only about 700 top-tier wells left, is a, a shocking and eye-opening statement. But I agree with you, Tavis. You know, that's 700 top-tier wells for where we sit technologically now. But think about the shale boom. This number was before then zero because this area was not not even being explored. So what I think is interesting is, and, and you nailed it, 700 top tier wells now, 
But in two years, that number might still be 700 as technology advances and we figure out how to extract more in an efficient manner. But next, the birthplace of the U.S. oil boom a decade ago shows signs of decline. Even as crude prices have risen back to about $80 per barrel, the Bakken oil field in North Dakota, the source of America's oil boom a decade ago, is failing to recover from last year's market slump. After a decade of rapid development, oil producers in the Bakken are now confronted with the geological reality that most of the better wells have already been drilled, as we were just discussing. With a limited number of high-quality wells available to drill, those that can produce large volumes of oil for a reasonable cost, Bakken producers will find it difficult to restore output to pre-pandemic levels. And again, lots of the headlines this month stemmed back to that report, but at the end of the day, they saw a lot of growth, and they may have seen it too quickly as people went crazy for the work and came and drilled hard and blew through lots of rock and extracted a ton of oil, but it all happened quickly and maybe not in the most sustainable manner. So hopefully people are navigating that change well, but I think we talked about that a month or two ago with how it was the fastest growing area, some of these towns, and they're quickly, quickly falling apart. And our last story for Basin Breakdown the use of $150 million in federal stimulus funds to build a new pipeline to transport natural gas from the Bakken to eastern North Dakota is one of the problems that state lawmakers will debate when they next meet at the Capitol. During the special session, lawmakers expect to divide $1 billion from the Federal Americans Rescue Plan Act, and the money set aside for a pipeline might make the potential of such a project more appealing to entrepreneurs. North Dakota Pipeline Authority Director Justin Kringstad said, quote, there's been a long-standing desire to see more North Dakota gas used in the state. And hey, uh, it was just doom and gloom two articles ago, so I'm glad to see that they feel there's still enough gas to support that sort of infrastructure. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we've talked about this for the past over about a year now. They're using these stimulus funds to help build jobs, build pipelines, ensure energy security. And so I think this is the perfect use for these funds. So, and like Tavis said, if they think that there's a use for it in this area, let's go for it. Why not support these workers? Why not support a project in this area that helps support our energy security? But like I mentioned, that was the last of our articles. If you'd like to read more about these or find where we source our information, you can go to www.rarepetro.com. And while you're there, find plenty, just gobs and gobs of other content that you will surely enjoy. Search any term, and I'm sure you will find something in the world of energy that we have written about that relates to it. But other than that, uh, I know we've got some plans. This is a Sunday that we're recording, and I'm not going to keep Kevin anymore from the Broncos game, and I think we should get up on out of here. Well, I appreciate that, Tavis, and go Broncos. Go Broncos. This has been Tavis and Kevin. Thanks for joining us, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Take care.